Welcome to the Goal In Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Bruss, and I'm proud to be bringing you these stories of everyday heroes from Sydney, Australia. Today on the show, our guest is Shil Shangavi from Chatterbox Public Speaking. By now, you probably know that the Go All In Podcast is about doing whatever it takes to break through your barriers and succeed at whatever it is that you're putting your mind to in life. Now, I know in my life, there's been some challenges and like everyone, I've had my share of ups and downs, but in reality, I live in a bubble and that too is by design. Things are good in the goal in world and I'm absolutely loving life. As the host of this show, I'm really fortunate to meet and to interview all types of people from all works of life and often upon reflection, I wonder how I would handle myself in the same situation that my guests often find themselves in. When you hear these go all in stories day after day, they're often very compelling and they're very introspective, not only for the person telling them, but also from the listener hearing them. And it's that right there that makes podcasting so great. I guess we can just all relate to the stories that we hear from one another. Our guest today has faced more adversity than most. And as you listen into his goal in story, you'll hear and see the beauty of just how humble he is. That's a beautiful thing. The ability to remain humble in the face of adversity is, at least in my opinion, a reflection upon the true strength of a person's character. As you can probably tell from the name of Shill's business, his company helps people become better public speakers. In fact, Shill not only is a TEDx speaker himself, he's also a trainer of TEDx speakers. This guy knows exactly what he's doing in the public speaker arena and in the business of public speaking. And that by itself is an amazing go all in story. But when you hear about the stutter that he had to overcome, you'll see that he seems to possess a superhuman will to overcome any obstacle that's placed in front of him, no matter how insurmountable it might seem. Shill is one of those people that has truly inspired me. He embodies everything that the goal in spirit is and means, and he knows how to get after exactly what it is that he wants in life. I'm excited he's here, so please help me in welcoming Shil Shangavi. Well, good day, Shil. Welcome to the Goal in Podcast. It's great to have a TEDx speaker, no less here. I'm so uh, excited to be speaking to you today. Likewise. Thank you very much for having me. Awesome. Well, mate, before we kick off the podcast and find out your views on the go all in mindset and everything that that means, I'd like to kick it off with a quick little get to know you quiz. Uh, it's pretty random. It's in no particular order. It's just a little bit of fun to kick it off to warm us up and, uh, and get into this. Just tell me the first thing that comes to mind when I ask you the question. You ready, mate? Sure. Let's go. Hey, man, did you grow up in Western Australia? Because I love Perth. No, I didn't. I grew up in Africa. Oh, righto. And how long have you been in WA for? I think I've been here for about 21, maybe 22 years now. Don't I sound Australian? <laughs> Whereabouts in Africa are you from? From from a little tiny island called Mombasa, which right. is just off the coast of Kenya. Uh-huh. And how old were you when you came to Australia then? I was 15, I think 15 or 16. So I was pretty young when I got here. And, and is, is, you speak English properly, right? When you're from, from there to here, English is part of school? English is part of the language there, yeah. So yeah. you're brought up speaking English and a few other languages too but english is one of the primary languages there uh-huh yeah i uh one of my freelancers is in kenya and cool. um i'm i'm always i don't know why I'm, I'm always surprised but his english is perfect when he types but when i speak to him he's got a pretty pretty heavy accent when i speak with him like that and he's he's unable to articulate himself 
in language as well as he can when he writes. Yeah. And I, I always think it's usually the other way around that people are better at articulating verbally than in the written word. Cause I see him responding to emails to clients and whatnot. And I'm always like, go Peter, go man, go. So pretty, pretty awesome. Have you been back there since you've been here in Australia? I have, I go back maybe twice every couple of, sorry, I probably go back once every couple of years right. and I've actually got a trip planned in August to see my parents and my sister. We're all going to go on a safari and have a big, big family get together. So every couple of years I do go back. Yes. Sounds fun. Sounds fun. And what about Perth? You live in Perth, right? Is that's like, that's just the big country town of Australia. What a, what a beautiful place. Where, whereabouts in Perth are you from? I live in Perth, right in the city. In the city. Very nice. Right in the CBD, yeah. So I live in a, a suburb called Northbridge, which is pretty much Perth. It's the CBD now. So mm. banks make in the middle of everything, yeah. Mm. So for the people that are listening in, because we have a, a whole lot of international listeners of this podcast, like thousands of people actually, what's the best part about Perth? Because it seems like a bit of an afterthought to people wanting to travel to Australia for a holiday. They want to go to Sydney, Melbourne, to the Barrier Reef, to the Gold Coast. But Perth, what? Perth? What's the best part about it? Let the audience know. There's a lot of cool parts about Perth. In fact, my parents were here to visit me two months ago. And to them, Perth is the big apple. We come from a little tiny <laughs> town in Kenya where we don't have the sort of things we have in Perth. Now, when you come here, there is so much culture. There is so much to do. We have a precinct called Elizabeth Key, which is brilliant. It's, it's, it's a man-made structure for lack of a better term and there's the Ritz Carlton is coming up there's a canal there it joins Kings Park to the city it's vibrant there are cafes and bars everywhere so there's not one particular thing I'd say is is awesome all of Perth is awesome now so if you do get a chance to come down you should visit Perth absolutely Hell yeah, we're paid by the Western Australian government to give Perth a plug today, by the way. But uh, yeah, if you've never been, make sure you get on a plane and go. And if it's not on your bucket list to go and check out at some point, make sure you, you do that as well, because it is truly a beautiful place, especially up north with the beaches and whatnot as well. Well, Shil, you're an international speaker and you travel all over the world for, but that's for work. Where do you like to go? And I love to ask this question of people that travel a lot. Where are the hidden gems in the world that you like to go for a holiday, for fun, not for work? There's a few places, so I'll pick out two specifically. In December of last year, I went to a little town in Austria called Halstatt. Have you ever heard of it? No, no, I haven't, no. It's a, it's a little tiny town in Austria that's tucked away in the middle of nowhere. To be completely honest, I didn't want to go. My wife insisted we check it out. It's got a population of maybe three or 4,000 people. It's tucked away in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by mountains. There's a, a lake, cobble streets. It's beautiful. And it's so isolated that I'm sure if the world around you was crumbling, they wouldn't have a clue about what's going on. So that definitely stands out as a place that I loved. But the other part of it, I'm, I'm a soccer fan big soccer fans. So anywhere in the world where I can experience big games, Barcelona, the Wembley Stadium, been to Real Madrid, anywhere I can go watch a soccer game in, in big stadiums are, are destinations for me. Good What's home. that like? Because I, I do see that and think I love, I'm not a really big sports fan, but I do really like to go to live sport. Like yeah. I don't really, I don't really care what I go and see if I watch soccer or AFL or rugby league or something like that, or a boxing match or something like that. What, what's it like in a big European stadium with a bunch of fanatical fans? That must be an awesome atmosphere. 
in one word, epic. Epic. Absolutely epic. You, very few sports in the world have this sort of passion. The clubs have histories going back hundreds of years and, and, and you can feel the rivalry. You can just feel the animosity between <laughs> teams and uh, the players are sensational. The whole experience is amazing. I've, I've been to Old Trafford. I'm a, a Manchester United fan and it's one of the biggest stadiums in the world. Yeah. Watching a live game at Old Trafford, even though I'm slightly biased, obviously, by saying this, is sensational. <laughs> why, do you think, why do you think we just don't encapsulate that here in Australia? I mean, if you've ever been to the MCG in a big sports day, they kind of, they do, and they, but it, it never looks the same as what it does like European football. Yeah, I have been to the MCG. And in fairness, I haven't been to too many sporting events in, in Australia. So it's, it's, it's hard to compare. But I, as, a, as a, a benchmark, when you look at the global attraction for soccer, for football, mm. you, you see there is no other sport in the world that, that has that. The World Cup attracts every country, every culture from all over the world. So it is the global sport. It's the global game. And I don't feel that it's possible to replicate that with any other sports. In saying that, it's my opinion. I'm biased on it. And I understand that without upsetting any of the listeners of this show. <laughs> I am a football fan, so I'm always going to think that way. I was just going to let you keep dividing the audience. You're digging yourself a hole there, so divide away. It's like, it's like cool. <laughs> You're having fun with that, weren't you? <laughs> I, I was a little bit. You know what the most watched sport in the world is? It's Formula One, right? Ah, uh, is it really? Yeah, it's Formula uh, One. Yeah, I yeah. didn't know that. I thought the most watched sport, and it's probably going to sound like a biased thing, me saying this, football. is football. football yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, it probably would be from a, a live perspective, more people going to live games, and I think just the telecast of F1 and, and the big money machine that, that it actually is like that. You know, I followed Formula One really closely for years and years, and one night in the middle of the night, <laughs> one night in the middle of the night, I got up and I, I turned it on and I was watching it, and not much was happening in this particular race. The cars were just going round and round in circles, and it just dawned upon me that I was just watching cars drive around and around in circles and there was a little bit of drama and I was like, come on, come on. And I realized like, this is, is this even sport? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. So I'm going to dig my own hole and divide the audience and say, maybe football and team sports are a little bit better than Formula One like that as well. In saying that though, big respect to Formula One drivers. Oh yeah, of course. To have the courage to get into a Formula One car and drive at that speed, it's an enormous skill. It's a sensational thing to do. So big respect to them as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tell me, Shil, when you travel and you're on your own and you're traveling for work, what do you do to relax? Is there, do you have a routine? Do you exercise a lot while you're away? Do you like to, to go to the opera secretly and nobody knows about it? Or do you go to museums? What, what do you like to do when you're in a place where you've never visited before? Well, let me start by saying I haven't traveled that much for work, just to set the right expectations to everybody who's listening. The few times I have traveled, I am a gym junkie, so I do exercise and I work out a fair bit. Mm-hmm. I normally spend my time just to relax, just to, just to check out the sites and keep my mind under control. For me, the, if, I'm, if I'm under too much stress, then I find I have a stutter, then my stutter tends to come out a bit as well. Mm-hmm. So if I do travel for work and say if I'm speaking or coaching, I'll make sure I go watch, if I can, a football game, <laughs> definitely go to the gym. Yeah. But I spend my time just trying to relax and just getting my brain under control so the words work the way I would like them to work. 
Very nice. Well said. Well said. I, I like to try and take it a little bit gently too when I'm in a place for work like that. And I, I have traveled quite a lot for work over the years. And I'm not a crazy person that goes and tries to do all the sightseeing in one day like that because you're on your own. I like to kind of be present in those places and, and just enjoy the experience while I'm there. But it's a unique experience when you get to travel on your own like that, especially if you're just doing some consulting or you're visiting a client or coaching or speaking like you do there. So um, it's, it's an interesting thing to do. All right, shifting gears here down down the, the list of questions that I've got. Do you, do you have a favorite author or a favorite book that you'd want to share with the audience? To be completely honest, no, I don't. I, I've, got a, I've got a couple of books behind me, as you can see. My, I, I like to read autobiographies. Right. And in particular, there's a book up here, Alex Ferguson's autobiography, and it's that's probably the one book to me. Look, Stan, <laughs> it's the fact that he was able to do what he did consistently for such a long time. That that is interesting to me. I've read the book on TED Talks and a thousand speeches around the world to move and inspire. But to be honest with you, no, I, I don't actually have one book and one author which stands out for me. Do you ever sit down with a, a fiction book every now and then and just get drawn into a story that somebody's you know, spent their life trying to create? Or is it always an autobiography or nonfiction? I read a bit of fiction. And mm. when I say I read, I, I, I do tend to listen to audiobooks. And the last couple I read were far-fetched. I'm talking <laughs> monsters stuck under the ice in the Arctic. And they, there's an SAS team that has to go in and try and find people and kill it. And, and it's that sort of stuff. So I do enjoy far-fetched science fiction as well. Yeah, I like to ask that question because I think we live in the day, in the modern world that we live in, short-form content is social media scrolling through your newsfeed and it's like a 90-second a video or it's you sit down at Netflix and there's like 12 hours that you binge on over the weekend because it's raining outside. You don't want to go anywhere. You want to break. There's not much middle ground. I don't find anymore in, in the content world that we live in. So reading a book feels to me like reading a physical book feels like middle ground content. Cause I sit down and I, my attention span for doing that is about 45 minutes to an hour, but nothing else is 45 minutes to an hour. That's why I kind of ask if you, if you read a book, interesting, interesting. Cool. I mean, uh, Last one for the, the quiz here. What's the, what's the best piece of business advice that you've ever received? Best piece of business advice I've ever received. There's a couple. There's actually been a few ideas. There's a few pieces of advice which I've received. I suppose the one which stands out was if you have an idea, don't be afraid to put it out there. A lot of people think of some really cool things. And there's always a fear that if you put the idea out there, you'll get rejected. People will laugh at you. It'll be embarrassing. And so it was all around, don't be afraid to put your ideas out there. See what the world will say. And it's the only way to test your ideas. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. I love it. I'm, if you don't mind, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to borrow that one as well. I think that's uh, it's, it's very, very wise advice because it's, uh, it's a pretty hard thing to overcome the fear of uh, rejection and, and people thinking that you're crazy. I have had a few entrepreneurial ideas over the years that I've kept buried and kept to myself and then brought them out and everyone goes, man, you should have done that years ago. That was a great idea. And I'm like, oh, and you almost don't know what to say about it. You know, there are. Oh, does that happen as well to other people? I'm, I'm sure it happens every day to millions of people around the world where somebody's gone, a hidden gem, but they're just too afraid to put that gem out there. And mm -hmm. sure, it'll, you'll need to refine it. You'll need to test it and 
find ways to improve on it, but you never know unless you try. Beautiful, beautiful. To use the, uh, the football analogy, you're never going to get to score a goal unless you get on the field and play. That's right. And unless you take that shot. There you go. Beautifully said. Beautifully said. All right, Shul, thank you so much for having a little bit of fun with me here on the front end of the podcast and, and sharing a bit of your life experiences and your opinions there. People come on over to the Go All In podcast to learn more about others that have gone all in. So if you could, mate, could you please share with the audience your biggest Go All In story or stories and the lessons that you've learned from your commitment to success? The biggest Go All In story is where I am now in Chatterbox doing what I do. I'm a speaker, I'm a public speaking trainer. So I suppose to give you the background, it, this is a line of work in, in a career I never imagined I would ever be in. Mm. Ever. And I can't stress that enough. This is the last thing I ever thought I would do. I was employed, I've worked across several corporate jobs over the last 15, 20 years to varying degrees of success. And along the way, I've had lots of failures. Not, there's been plenty of embarrassing times, lost a lot of money in the process as well. And for me, the biggest goal in story is putting everything on the line with Chatterbox, putting myself out there. It's been an exercise where I've, I've had to rebrand Shill. I've had to rebrand everything about me as a public speaker, as a public speaking trainer, that's been a challenge. It's a tough industry to break into. It's a tough game to cut your, to cut your skin in. So the biggest story for me is really a transition from being employed in corporate to doing something that I never expected I could or should ever do. Mm. Tell me, why is it such an unexpected career for you? Can you share that with the audience? Yeah, I can. Speaking, so not just public speaking, but speaking in general has always been my, my number one fear. As you can tell, I'll sometimes stutter. Ever since I was 10, I've had a really bad stutter. And over the years, as I got older, it got worse. So when I, I moved to Australia, the shock of being in a new country and culture really got it bad. When I went to university, it got even worse. As I got into corporate jobs, the level of pressure, the responsibility affected me and it got to me. So there was a point there where I would, I would struggle to say my name and it affected my confidence. It affected everything about me. And for me, it's been such a fear that to actually be comfortable or somewhat comfortable getting up on stage and doing presentations and talks and now training people in how to do it, as you can appreciate, it's as far far out from any career choice I thought I would ever have, any career option I thought I would have. So it's essentially I've turned a fear into a strength, into a superpower and into a career now. Mm. And tell me, about, tell me about making the leap from corporate, from having a job into your own business, because many people that I talk to on the Go All In show, that, that is their Go All In because you go from a place of comfort, relatively relative comfort and security where you could be on a trajectory for the rest of your life and you kind of know what's happening and you take a leap completely into the unknown, usually into your first business. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work and you end up back where you started. But what about for you? What was that transition like? How did, how did you actually get across the line? Because I do know that there's a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are teetering on the very edge because I always get this feedback from the audience via emails and socials and messages and stuff. They're like, 
oh, I just can't quite get there. And my response is always the same. It's like, well, go all in, man. You know, like, yeah. as you're telling the go all in guy, you can't get there, go all in and just in. have a crack at it. What about for you? Tell us about your, your version of that. I knew. I knew. I, I had a crystal clear idea. So by, by the end of my corporate career, I, I knew I wanted to do this. The better I got at public speaking, the more comfortable I grew in this. I set up Chatterbox as a hobby to my actual job, my full-time job. And the fulfillment that I had from doing public speaking, the level of confidence it brought in me, and of course, from a financial perspective, as soon as I, I, I started getting paid to do this, I knew there was something there. And so when I did the math, I was in the construction industry. And there are so many competitors in construction who pitch for a very small pie of work. Mm. Public speaking, there are so many people who are afraid or want to get better at public speaking and few competitors or few people rather that do what I do. So from a a market share sense, it made sense to explore this. Mm. How did I go all in? I knew in my mind, this is exactly what I wanted to do. I love doing it. I would like to think I'm good at doing it. (laughs) It it makes me feel empowered to do this as well. And so I knew in my mind that this is what I want to do. And to your point, I had to put everything into it. You have to give it 100%. Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask you what would seem like a bleedingly obvious question, but sometimes I feel like I've got a responsibility to ask the question on behalf of the audience, not so much on behalf of myself, because normally this is like kind of just me doing it. But mate, you had a hard time with the stutter and you go into public speaking. I used to be a paratrooper and people think that I was crazy for jumping out of airplanes and doing that for a job and stuff. But people, I think that have phobias of stuff would rather go and be a paratrooper for a living than be a public speaker or a public speaker coach. Like the fear of public speaking, and it's a blindingly obvious question, but the fear of public speaking is in some cases for some people worse than their death. That is like, and you, you've gone and taken that to the nth degree, especially with the, the, the problem that you suffered from with the stutter and all of that. Can, can you offer some sort of like sane comment on that? Because that is really a superpower to be able to master that skill set. There isn't a sane comment on it. <laughs> I, I sometimes think I'm insane. The level of control which goes into my stutter, very few people actually understand how much control goes into it from my breathing, my pace, the words I use, the sentences I use. I'm constantly doing this, so you won't be able to see this. But if I stop tapping my hand, I can't talk to the rhythm of my fingers. And if I don't tap constantly, we would struggle to have a conversation. Mm. So what I'm trying to say is because of my stutter, I've managed to take my speaking to a level where it's deliberate, it's controlled, And all of that has given me the techniques to control my speaking ability in such a way that I know when you put me up on stage, I have control over it. And I'm able to deliver things in a way that other people mightn't have had to think about or work through if they didn't have a stutter. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it it definitely does. I I know I've done probably not as much public speaking as you, but I've done a lot of instruction in my life in the military doing instructing. And sometimes you get it up in front of a group of 30 people, 10 people, five people, 300 people. It's all sorts of different things. And 
I always have a little bit of nervous energy there and, and you know, you want to get it right. And it's kind of different in the military as well. You don't really have a harsh audience or a critical audience. You, you sometimes have an instructor with a pencil telling you what you can do better and helping you through it and whatnot. But I always had nervous energy because I always wanted to do a good job and wanted to deliver the message succinctly. And, and I wanted to help people and do the right thing. That's, that's why I was there doing it. How do you, do you have nervous energy when you get up there or are you just really concentrating on your voice and your techniques and getting it all under control? It's really interesting. It's like, almost like a paradox, what you have to deal with. I always have nervous energy. Awesome. Good. Always. Good. I don't believe there is a speaker out there who can honestly say when you get up to speak to an audience, you don't feel nervous. There's a, there's a very, there's a famous quote by Mark Twain. And he says, there are two types of speakers in this world. The ones who are nervous and the ones who are liars. <laughs> you know, it's, it translates into parachuting as well. Aren't you ever scared of parachuting? That's like a crazy thing. And you did that for a job every single time. Yeah, every course. single time I was crapping my pants and there, there wasn't a single time that I wasn't going through my drills in my mind and, getting it right and, and making sure it was right. It's, yeah, it's just normal to feel like that about parachuting. It's, it's normal to feel that way. It comes mm. down to how well you control those emotions and, how you, and the way you channel your energy into controlling it so that the butterflies are still going crazy, but you get them to fly in formation. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love, I'm gonna, I'm gonna borrow that one too. I like that. That's, I love that's that. not mine either. So, but you can borrow it. <laughs> that's, that's beautifully said. Beautifully said. Shul, how how long were you, you? You took the leap. You left your job. You started your business. How long was it before you really started to get a bit of momentum? Were you in business for three months or six months, or when you got a bit of a roll on and you're like, hey, this is working. I can do this. Yeah, I started exactly twelve months ago. August will be around the 12-month mark, rather. And I started seeing the results after about seven. So really not that long. It didn't take too long, no. There have been good results. <laughs> it's, there's been a lot of challenging times, I'll be completely honest. There's been a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of stress. My wife, my best friends, my family have, have had to deal with a lot, of, a lot of difficult conversations where I felt I couldn't do it. But the results started to show pretty, pretty quickly. I'd say in, in, in that space of time, but like anything, you just have to keep going. You have to continue and forever improving my systems and the way I go to market, the way I talk, the keynotes I have, it's always a process of having to refine things and just get better. Was there anything in business that you absolutely suck at? Yes, there is actually. <laughs> there is. I'm not sure if you would classify this as, as a business item, but I suck at cold calling. Oh, right. I absolutely suck at cold calling. It is one of those things. You put me on a phone and give me a list of 10 people to cold call, I'll collapse. I simply can't do it. But you can get up in front of a crowd of a thousand people and deliver a speech. Put me on a stage in front of a thousand. I'm very nervous, but I can do it. Yeah, right. It's a, it's a funny dichotomy. Do you know what it is that, that causes that? Are you, are you, what is it? Are you selling something? Is it the fear of selling or is it something else? I, it's, it's, it's my stutter. For right. some reason, when I'm on the phone, when I'm doing a cold call, I'm always conscious that the person on the other end doesn't know who I am. For all they know, I'm just some guy trying to be polite over the phone doing a cold call. If I position myself as a public speaking trainer and I start stuttering, it kind of cleans off my credibility for what I do. Whereas mm -hmm. when I'm on stage, people can see who I actually am. 
And so subconsciously, I think that affects my ability to cold call. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Well, uh, for the for the people listening and for the audience, I, I met Shill on, on LinkedIn and reached out and he came back and then I got on the phone and, and spoke to you and invited you to come on this show. And we had a kind of a fun conversation and we talked a couple of times. And, and then when I saw your pre-interview questionnaire and you had the story of what you were telling us now, I was like, really? Really? I just... I did not pick it and I did not know. That's about the last thing that I ever expected you to tell the, the audience that was your goal in story, but it's a, it's a pretty epic one. So, and it's a very vulnerable one as well. So, uh, you know, from, from the bottom of my heart, thank you for sharing that because in you sharing your vulnerability and your story about the struggles that you've had, hopefully that will allow some other people to open up and, and, to share their vulnerabilities and to help them moving forward in their lives as well. I, I spoke to a fellow the other day on, on a podcast and he, uh, he had a really good successful corporate background and like most people, he wanted to work for himself. He took the leap and he went all in and, and he got on the other side of all of that transition, but he never really got much traction. It took a little bit of a while for him to get momentum. And like you, he was having some sleepless nights and he was having some problems. And the problem with that he had, he was addressing the issue with some booze and that became a, a bit of a problem. And he started to become a bit reliant on it. And it kind of, that's a really slippery slope if you've ever been down that path. And he just told his story, what's and all. And it was a really empowering thing for me to hear. And I got so much feedback from that particular podcast of like, yeah, that's like really kind of vulnerable. You're really hanging it all out there. And I asked him, I said to him, why do you do that? And he goes, because ultimately I was a shit bag. I was a shit husband. I was a shit dad. And I was shit to my customers and my clients. And it was because I was drinking and mm-hmm. I didn't think I had a problem. And I put my hand up. I said I had a problem. And when I do that, I tell this story and it kind of gives everyone else permission to say, yeah, I'm a shitbag too. I can go and get some help and do something about it and turn my life around. And yeah, so it's good. I agree with that. When you, when you can open up and when you can tell people what you've been through and, and what's, what's deep inside you, it's, it's a vulnerability that I, I would like to think people appreciate. Because mm. I think a lot of people out there would want to say these things, but they just don't feel they can. Yeah. I've always thought the more you can share, obviously in the right way, in the right context and capacity, it's liberating. It's almost like taking the pressure and the stress off you, putting it out there to share with the world. And, and then you start to realize it's not so bad. Mm-hmm. It's not so bad. You may have been through a shit time, but there are other people who've been through a lot worse a lot worse than I have. I'm sure they are. I was brought up in Africa. I was born in Kenya. Some of the, some of the stuff that I've been through there, you, you would never want to go through here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I, I see that a lot um, as the host of this, of the Go All In show is uh, often people will tell me a story and I kind of, I read those stories before I get on air with them. And I ask myself, how, how would I handle that? I'm like, scratch my head going, you know, talk about illness and health problems and something like, you know, what you're talking about, you stutter. And I'm like, I don't know. It really kind of highlights to me and shines a spotlight on me as an individual that, dude, you live in a bubble and your world is really, really good and don't complain. <laughs> because I, I should be way so much more thankful than I am for what I have because my health is great. My, my relationship is great. I've got a really good life and I've, I've, you know, that's by design, of course, you know, I worked hard for that very thing, but every now and then I do find myself complaining and I really got nothing to complain about. 
It's normal to complain. We all do it. No matter how good our lives are, we're always going to complain. But it's good to sometimes just take a step back and take stock of what you have. Mm. In my case, take stock of the fact that when you do talk, when you do have a conversation, you don't go through enormous amounts of stress and anxiety before you say your name. Yeah. I can, I can never pronounce my wife's name. No matter how much I try, no matter how much effort I put into it, no matter how often I tap and speak to the rhythm of my fingers, I can't pronounce my wife's name. Mm. So when we go out, she needs to introduce herself because I just can't. Right. That's yeah, something like, I've got nothing to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> it's just to put things into context. And yeah. everybody's, got this. everybody's got a lot of people, I'm sure, would have something that makes them feel anxious or that they complain about. And I always think just take a step back and take stock and see what other people have to do or go through or how they feel. Anyway, I'm, I'm going completely off tangent here. So please, can you pull me back on? Track? It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful insight to, your, to the way that you kind of view life and the way that you deal with the challenges that you've, you've dealt with. But let's, let's bring it back on course. I'll bring it back on course for you here. As a speaker and a, and a speaker, a coach of speakers, um, you've worked a little bit with TEDx and Toastmasters. How do you keep curious about refining your skill? How do you measure, you go up on stage or you, you deliver something or you practice something, you've delivered it and you only really get one chance of it. You don't get to do that particular one again. You might go and do the same thing somewhere else, but you only get to do that again. How do you stay curious about getting better at it and delivering it? What is it? How do you measure it? I don't think there is a way to measure it. You, you stay curious because you love doing it. Mm. And I would think the day I do a particular talk, there's a particular talk that I give, which is quite a popular one. It's the Missed Opportunities talk. I've done it quite a few times now. And every time I do it, the reaction from audiences is different. Obviously, I would love everybody to walk away and think that was the most incredible thing I've ever heard. And you refine it as you go along because your audience is different. Your delivery will change slightly all depending on the audience. Specifically to your question, how do you stay curious about it? And is there a way to measure it? I don't believe there is a way to measure things. I normally don't ask people for feedback. It's something I've stopped doing because... It takes one person to say, I didn't enjoy it, <laughs> to crush how you feel. <laughs> I'm so fragile. Yeah, so I, I, don't know. <laughs> I normally base, base the, the measure of, of success on the feedback that I get on the night or the weeks afterwards. People will come to me and contact me and say, that was incredible. Can we catch up and can we talk? That's a measure of success. The curiosity to refine it, you just have to constantly read how you feel, read the way the room is. Are you able to adjust to the audience if things go wrong? For example, if, you, if I have a PowerPoint slide, but there's a technical issue and the slides don't work, all my slides paint an image which tell my story. And if I don't have the ability to talk with slides, can I adapt to it quickly and still tell that story with the same impact? Mm-hmm. I'm going to go out on a limb here because you seem like a fairly sharing sort of character. Sure. Has there been a time that stands out in your mind where it all just came undone for you and things didn't go right for you or your delivery wasn't right? Or is there, is there one thing that, you know, it's, life is a series of feedbacks, not mistakes. You get feedback, but sometimes 
things are really embarrassing and sometimes things are like really bad and and i've i've been there i've been made a fool of myself plenty of times in my life drinking too much beer you know whatever but professionally i've done that as well where i've made mistakes i've missed deadlines i've had oversights and those things are professionally embarrassing and they're really hard lessons to learn and it's you know it's the Jocko Willick thing where you've got to take ownership and extreme ownership of it and the only way to really own something that feels embarrassing to you is to confront it well that's the kind of methodology that I like to use and but but that is confronting in itself is can you share something like that with us you know I'm going out on a limb because I'm asking you to embarrass yourself I absolutely 100% can. Oh, you can? Absolutely, I can. Look, and you're willing to as well. I'm willing By the to way, I'm not telling you my ones. Not at all. Mate, <laughs> I'll ask you at a separate time. <laughs> something, I, I went through something and I owned it and I still own it. I'll have to give you some background there. I'll have to give you some context just so you understand why it happened. In addition to my stutter, I've also got another pretty rare condition where my body struggles to regulate heat. So on your spine, you've got the nerve endings, which are responsible for the distribution of heat. Mine don't work. So if you put me into an environment that's hot and stuffy or into anything that's overly stressful, in extreme cases, I overheat so much that I can black out, which is not ideal considering I live in a very hot country and my career is public speaking. I know. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. Anyway, I delivered a presentation to a corporate firm maybe three or four months ago. And in the lead up to it, there are two things I, I always ask for. One is, can I please have some cold water? And two, can I please have a cool air-conditioned room to present from? I get there and it was a boiler room. It was stuffy. It was very hot. The partner of this firm actually told me, you may struggle. I should have known then and there to call it off because I knew I would struggle. I pushed through, I presented, and it was awful. I was drenched, drenched in sweat. From a 20-minute talk, 10 minutes in, I was so uncomfortable, I thought I would pass out. My words weren't coming out well. My engagement was off. My whole presentation was a solid 1 out of 10. <laughs> it was very embarrassing. Did you feel, do you feel woozy as well? I thought I was going to pass out. No. I actually thought I was going to pass out. Once the whole thing was done, I could see the reaction from everybody because to them, they've just invited this guy who's a TEDx speaker coach, a professional speaker, yet he crumbled in front of all of us. How does that happen? The response from them was not too good, to be honest. So to own it, I recorded a video and I put the video onto LinkedIn and I shared the whole thing. And I, and I told people about it because why hide from it? It happened. I owned it. I know there's things I could have done to change it. What do you do? That's it. It's, it's just one of, one of those circumstances, isn't it? I'll share one with me. It's, it's, I'll tell you my story and you'll probably go, oh yeah, yours is a hundred times worse than mine because <laughs> you're in front of strangers. Mine was, uh, when, I was in, uh, when I was in the army, I was the, the physical training instructor for the unit that I was at. And we went up to a place in, uh, in southeast Queensland called Canungra. And this place is in the, in the Glasshouse Mountains at the back of the Gold Coast. And these are really big, steep hills. And it's the Jungle Warfare Training Center. And we went there and we put our stuff down and we started doing our thing. And I, I started to get a cold. And for the weeks, the weeks in the lead up before we went there, I was training these infantry guys and 
like at the front of the, the class and delivering the training and beasting them into like near oblivion day in and day out because fitness is absolutely paramount as an infantry soldier. And the minute that we got out of the unit and into a different location, I, I got really sick, like a proper cold. And the next day they said, all right, get your gear. We're going to go and march up the top of the, the hill that's with your pack, put all the stuff in your pack, get going. And, and I put my pack on and I swear to you, it was probably 40 kilos, but it felt like about 90 kilos because I was just unwell and worn down. And I was so unbelievably determined to not let any of these guys see me fail. And I was not on your life going to sit out and do that. And the minute I stepped out, they stepped off and, you know, at a cracking pace to begin with, because everybody was so fit from all the training we were doing. And there I was looking like a, like a moron because I hadn't done any of the training with them. I stood at the front of the class doing it. But I was so sick and I was coughing and spluttering and the snot. And they're like, oh, come on, Rob, you know, come on, mate. You know, what, what happened to the, to the big tough PDI at the front of the class? You can't even put a pack on and march like 100 metres before you're going to fall out of it all and whatnot. And, you know, for me, professionally, it was probably one of the most embarrassing things that had ever happened to me because it was in front of all of my peers and I, was, I felt like a fraud. I felt like a phony. And they made it all the way up to the top of the hill, turned it around, and they were coming back down the hill. And I was the very last person of the whole platoon of 30 guys. And I was so crook and I was just trying as hard as I could. But no matter how hard I tried, I, I couldn't get there. And they lapped me. They got to the very bottom and the last, and they're like, don't worry about going up there, mate. Come on, turn around. And, and I was so embarrassed. I just so professionally embarrassed because I couldn't march like 10 kilometers or whatever it was. But, and, and I didn't, I'd made no excuse. I made no excuse to it at all. And later on, when we got back to the unit, you know, I kind of came out the front of the class with my tail between my legs and they're all like, Bunch of guys, you know, bunch of guys all giving you a, a hard time and, and to do that. And, you know, the lesson that I learned from that was to be humble and don't make excuses. And as you did, you, you owned it. I didn't say, oh, I had a cold, I couldn't do it, or my pack was too heavy, or I just was like, yeah. But if I ask any of my mates now from, you know, way back when, they'll be like, what are you talking about? I don't remember. And like, it's not even a blip in their memory. They wouldn't even register to that. But to me, it was a, it was a big thing. It was professional embarrassment. In your mind, it's a big thing. Yeah. If yeah. you go through something which to you is embarrassing, it's always going to stand out in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But it's good. All right, mate. Just tell me a little bit about uh, what's it like being a TEDx speaker. For the people that don't know you, you you've done a TEDx speak, uh, speech, haven't you? I have, yes. I was invited to do a talk in December 2018. Mm -hmm. TEDx give out the licenses to, to certain organizations, and I did mine for TEDx ATO Perth. It was awesome, to be honest. I what was, was one, on? I think, nine or ten speakers. Mine was on the fear of public speaking. So I challenged the audience to shift how they think about the fear of public speaking. Nice. And is it in Google? We can YouTube it. What do we look for? We look for your name in that title? You can't, no. We, we don't have the video. So as soon as the video is out, I'll let you know. Okay, excellent, excellent. And I'll, uh, if you're listening to this podcast on your phone, just have a peek at your phone because if the video is out, I'll put the link there in the show notes. And if you're watching this video, of course, just scroll down and a link will be there. And once that comes out and she'll gives it to me, I'll update it. So if it's not there now, it certainly will be. Um, and now you're a, you're a coach there for the TEDx speakers that come on. Tell me about the process. How do they select somebody to come and be a TEDx speaker? Because there must be thousands of applicants and hundreds of interesting topics in the process. 
I'm sure there are. The selection process is something I am not a part of at oh, all. You don't see that at all. I don't see that part at all. But from what I understand, there are hundreds of people, thousands, in fact, mm-hmm. who put their applications in. That then goes to a curation team who evaluates and assesses. I'm, I'm sure they would interview some of the potential speakers as well to quiz them on what their ideas are on, on what the topics are. And from that point, once the speakers are selected, we get assigned. And I've, I've got a couple of speakers coming up for the, the flagship event, which is on September the 7th. And so the process to get a speaker stage ready is a lot of fun. It's interesting, it's challenging, it's fun. Is it rigorous? It is rigorous, yes. I mean, you, you have to remember, you're putting, you're getting up on stage in front of 2,000 people mm. delivering arguably the biggest talk of your life mm. on a topic which means a lot to you with an idea worth spreading. Yeah. It's, it's not only important for you and your own personal brand, but for the TEDx brand as well. So you want to make sure you get it right. Mm-hmm. I have to say, um, with my hand in my heart, I, I have a bit of a, a frustrated relationship with TEDx because when I find myself sitting at my computer and there's not much going on and I'm, you know, there's nothing to watch on Netflix or whatever and a bit of downtime, I inevitably you kind of wander over to YouTube and there it is, click. And then like five hours later, it's like, dude, it's time to go to bed, you know. That's like the, the, the 154th TEDx speech you've watched at two speed. Stop it. You can't assimilate any more information. Do you have, do you have the same problem as me or is that just me? I think it's just you. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I sit there and watch them on artificial intelligence and the universe and how humans are going to live forever. Some incredibly amazing people. You, you get to see that firsthand as well. Yeah, there are some sensational TEDx talks, TED talks, TEDx talks. There, mm. are some, there are some amazing people out there with incredible ideas. And it's only until they have that opportunity to get, to get up and share those ideas that you realize that was brewing in your head for how long? Yeah. And you finally got to share that. And it's, it's brilliant. I love the concept. I, I'm, I'm in love with all things TED. It's, it's an amazing it's an amazing thing to be involved in. And did it feel like you kind of, when, when you got invited to be the coach of those speakers, did it feel like to you in your, in your business, because it's relatively new, like, hey, uh, that, that's like a really big win. Yeah. Huge win. Absolutely, yeah. That, that, adds, that adds some credibility behind what you do. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, I, I, I would never want to leverage off, off the brand in, a, mm. in the wrong way, but... To be completely open and honest, as, as soon as that happened, of course, people started to pay attention to who I am, to who Chatterbox is. And all of a sudden, when you're talking to people, it adds a different dimension to your reputation as a speaker coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, def- definitely. And, and, I, and I definitely don't mean it from that perspective either. You know, like I've won a couple of, of major blue chip clients in my career as well. And, you know, you have a big fist pump celebration and inevitably, you know, the, the good of winning those deals brings more deals to you and another deal to you and another deal to you. And it's not that I'm leveraging off those deals that all that big one that I just secured. It's got nothing to do with that. It's the, it, it feels good. And it's a validation that what you're doing is actually working and it makes it all worthwhile. I wanted to transition into Chatterbox and can you tell the audience about that? What does the business do? How do you help people? What's it all about? Chatterbox is all about trying to redefine the fear of public speaking. So I work with people that have on one end of the spectrum a fear of of public speaking and are absolutely terrified by the whole thing. 
And on the other end of the spectrum, I work with C-suite executives who are pretty good at public speaking, but they just need to polish their delivery. Mm-hmm. Chatterbox, me, I'm a speaker and I'm a speaker trainer. And underneath those two categories, I train, I coach, and I speak. And that's what Chatterbox does. What's your favorite, training, coaching, or speaking? I, I, I love oh, doing all. I <laughs> all of it. Um, that's, that sounds like a cliche thing, I, I know. But the fulfillment of, of delivering a really, can I say kick-ass? Yeah, hell no. yeah. The feeling of delivering a really kick-ass talk, you can't buy that. Mm. It's incredible. The feeling of seeing somebody deliver a kick-ass talk after you coach them is incredible. Mm. The feeling of seeing a person who is terrified of public speaking, but all of a sudden find a way to control their nerves so they can start speaking is incredible. They've all Mm. got different feelings of the validation to them, which, which I can't, it's too hard to describe, but they've all got a very cool, cool thing about it. Well, while I've got you here and, and given that you're a, uh, a public speaker coach, for the people that are listening that have a bit of a, I guess, a phobia or a fear of it, what is something that they can do to help themselves get over? I mean, there's so many techniques. There's the physical techniques. There's, you know, in your mind, it's like, the, you know, imagine the audience naked, all sorts of silly things like that. What, what are some common ones that you've seen really work for people or is it very individual? So firstly, can I just say, do not picture the audience naked. (laughs) Why not? Don't do that. that. Picture them with clothes on. Picture them with clothes on like they're normal people who've come to listen to you speak. That'll add to your anxiety if they're naked. (laughs) Don't listen to Rob's advice. (laughs) Well, I'm not the speaker coach. (laughs) Probably the, the the quickest thing that I can tell people to do is control their breathing. Mm. quickest thing there are so many techniques you can use and everybody's different but the one thing a lot of people fail to do is control their breathing what happens when you panic you experience a shortness of breath when you experience a shortness of breath it's very difficult to talk it's very difficult to control what you want to say now you may have heard of people i'm sure the listeners can vouch for this as well people will sometimes say i felt my voice tremble Mm. Yeah, that happens when you experience a shortness of breath. So before you start speaking, if you feel those nerves, and you more than likely will, take a few really long, deep breaths. Breathing activates what's called your parasympathetic system, which essentially relaxes you. The more relaxed you are, the easier it becomes to control your nerves and speak. Of course. Yeah, that's a, that's a natural thing to do, isn't it? You know, I've had the experience of panic, I guess you would call it. And it was a bit self-induced. And I can remember one time we were on a plane, parachute, climbing up to 12,000 feet to get out. And my equipment was too tight. And it was right up around my diaphragm here. And my, my chest strap was really tight. And I, and I was squashed in with everybody. And it was hot in the airplane. And I just wanted to get out. And I had to go to the bathroom because you go up to altitude in an unpressurized plane, everything expands. And I could feel the, you know, when your chest comes in and out like this as, you, as you're breathing, but I could feel the chest strap was so tight that I couldn't get a whole breath in. I was like going, and all of a sudden, because I'm my breaths are so short in, but my exhale is so far out, I'm starting to get a little bit like dizzy and, you know, you got to get a paper bag and blow into a paper bag. Yeah. And my mate opposite me, sitting opposite me, is kind of like 
smiling, going, he's going to faint. He's going to faint. <laughs> and I could see him mouthing that. He's going to faint. And I was like, <laughs> freaking out like that. And as I, the oxygen in my blood dropped, I could feel myself like panicking. I could feel my blood pressure rise, like a hot flash in my face and stuff like that. And you know what, though? That, I've never forgotten what that felt like. And I've also had a similar feeling before I've gone on stage of not panic, but I do know if you don't get your breathing under control like that, then it can really lead to some detrimental things. So absolutely don't picture the audience naked, get your breathing under control. Get your breathing under control. And when you do get your breathing under control, speak as you exhale. Yeah. Simple, simple techniques. Simple techniques. Simple. And sometimes simple techniques work the best. You don't need to overcomplicate things. Yeah. Control your breathing. Obviously, there's more to it. But as a quick, what can we do straight away? Get mm-hmm. you under control. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to shift gears as we come to the end of the podcast. And thank you so much for, for sharing your story and, and all of that with us as well, because it's kind of been a, a lot of fun so far. And I like to ask a podcasting question of people of, where were you 12 months ago? But I know where you were 12 months ago because you kind of just stepped off into this new business. What's, got, what's on the horizon for you for the next 12 to 18 months? It must be a really super exciting time ahead in a, in a building phase of your new business as it is. Super exciting. There is a lot in the pipeline. I've got a lot of exciting things about expansion. But in saying that, I, I don't want to expand to, to a point where it's too big. I do this because I love doing this. It fits my lifestyle. It fits where I want to be in life. So I certainly don't want to get to a point where Chatterbox is just some big mean brand, a beast rather. Where do I see myself in 12 months time, 12 to 18? I'd love for people to look at Chatterbox as a trusted brand for public speaking. I'd love for them to look at me and the brand and think this guy's genuine, he's authentic, and we know that if we go to Shill and Chatterbox, he can do what it takes to get us much better with public speaking. There are plans for me to join some other organizations, which I can't talk about just yet. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of exciting things which are happening. I've got some speaking gigs on the East Coast. I have a few things coming up internationally, which will be quite nice as well. Exciting. Yeah, so there is some cool stuff that's happening. Excellent, excellent. And if people want to uh, connect with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Follow me with social. I am on Instagram. Drop me an email. I'm not the sort of person to say, don't, don't get in touch via email, please. My email is there for, for, for people to get in touch with me. Mm-hmm. I have an Instagram page. I have a Facebook page. You can contact me on email. My number's out there as well. Connect with me on my LinkedIn. I'm quite active on my LinkedIn too, and I share a lot of my topics and information on there. So there's quite a few ways to get through to me. Pick your favorite and reach out. Awesome. And if you're, again, if you're listening to this podcast on your phone, just peek at your phone and all the links to Shill's socials and his email, they'll be right there for you. So you're not going to have to dig them out. And if you're watching this video on YouTube or on Facebook, just scroll down and they're right there in the show notes for you. Well, mate, if you've got some gigs going on on the East Coast over in Sydney, make sure you give us a call when you're over here, mate. Let's go out and have a little bit of fun and maybe we can record another podcast. I'll come out to an event where you're doing it. Go do some interviews. That'd be a lot of fun. I'd love that. That was good. Thank you very much for having me. I've had a great time. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks for coming on, mate. We'll speak with you soon. Bye for now. Bye for now. Well, there you have it, folks. That was a 
an epic show from an amazing guy. Please make sure you connect with Shill. Just pick at your phone and all the links to his website and his socials are right there in the show notes so you don't have to dig around the internet for them. They're right there, nice and handy for you. Now, if you've got a question or a comment or an idea for the show, please reach out via the Go All In socials and make sure you subscribe to the show on the app that you're listening in on right now. And if you have a moment, I'd really appreciate a review as that helps a whole boatload as well. Don't forget you can send me an email at any time as well. Just visit goallin.com.au to find out more. Well, that wraps it up for the show today. Now, whatever you're doing, whatever you're working on, get busy, get to it, and go all in. I'll see you next time. Feeling like lately There is nothing in the way